Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. So as, as I was preparing the sermon, I was like, man, this is just as much for me as for anyone, because um, I don't know how we handle and manage change um, and adjustment. Some of us, we, do, we live our life to just make sure everything is stable and consistent. Um, we eat the same thing every breakfast, right? We have our same morning routine, um, especially those of you who have kids. Um, I, I'm sure it's like chaos 24-7, but you try to keep things consistent as you can. Or if you're, if, you know, once we get a, a new job or career as we're working, we just want, we like to build some things that feel normal and that we can expect. Um, and then there's some of us that just love change. We love new things. Um, and that kind of, that idea of, um, a, uh, of a new season excites us, um, of things kind of, being that adventurous spirit that you may be, um, just daredevils out there, not knowing what you're going to eat tomorrow, just going out and just figuring things out on your own. Um, there's, you know, there's different ways that we manage and handle change. And there's a, there's a, there's a show that I've been watching recently, um, more for entertainment purposes than um, like financial advice, but there's this YouTube channel where someone just does a personal audit of just like a couple or individual. And it's like this hour-long show of going through all the financial statements, loans, debts, everything. And he, at the end of the show, he creates his plan to get out of, you know, to be in financial health and financial freedom. And some, you know, obviously it's for entertainment purposes because some of these people that are selected are like, it's like pretty brutal. Not just their situation, but their perspective and their personality. And so, you know, they'll go through this one hour of going through all these things that put them in debt and like their future is insecure, you know, like retirement, all this stuff. So it's like an hour of, it's like almost like this public shaming hour, right, of their financial situation. And then they're like, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful. And then he gives the financial plan and then he always asks the question, can you stick to this? And they're like, no, I don't think so. I'm like, bro, you just saw an hour of your financials and your future going into flames, right? And then this is, he creates the plan and he goes, I don't want that change. I don't want to adjust my lifestyle. I want to continue enjoying the rhythms of what I do, right? It's essentially, that's what it concludes to. And I realize how often um, we as just people are, can be so stubborn to change, that we can, be so, we can see the crisis in front of us and yet refuse to adjust. Or we see things in front of us and we know that for our health and our future, changes need to be made, but the flexibility isn't there, whether it's out of fear because of instability, whether it's out of stubbornness, whether it's out of anxiety, like all these factors come in and we kind of get into this paralysis mode of I just want to keep things the way it is even if it's destructive. I want to keep things the way it is because at least I know what to expect. Even if it's harmful, even though it's painful, I don't want to prune. I want to just keep things the same. And there's a book um, called uh, Who Moved My Cheese? Um, it's a short book um, for any of you that has uh, want to know how to embrace change. It's a great book. It's not a Christian book. Um, but it's, it's a bit of like a parable story of four characters. Um, it's uh, it's a two humans, and then it's two mice. And essentially, the premise is, I'm not going to go through the whole book, but the premise is the cheese that they had, their storage, and the cheese that was in front of them is gone. 
And it, it journeys through all four characters on how they manage this change. Whether it's this person's like, surely come back, and they don't move. <laughs> they just stay in the season in a place of, it'll come back to me. And so no adjustments are made. Um, and there's others who become very creative in their ways of, of finding the cheese. This it, is a whole parable story, but it's a great lesson on how we manage seasons of transition and disruption when things don't go our way. And no matter how effectively we plan for the future, things don't go our way. No matter how effectively we, effectively we plan to foresee trouble and crisis, we can't always predict it. But in this book, there's a quote that says that he realized that when he had been afraid to change, he had been holding on to the illusion of old cheese that was no longer there. Um, I know, it's kind of it's weird wrapping your head around like this big block of cheese, but um, <laughs> essentially the premise that he's trying to present in this part of the book is that there's this illusion that we can't let go of something from the past. We refuse to change and move because there's an old pathway that we're refusing to let go or discover a new pathway for. And in many ways in our faith, that is very reflective of us being able to either holding on to old pathways and traditions that we don't want to let go, and that we don't know how to manage and navigate the changes that God is trying to do in our new season. We want to keep church as normal and as on pace as possible. But when we look at the book, book of Acts and the early church, there was no normal day on their calendar. When we look at the early book of Acts and the early church and, and the, the kind of the, the growth of the first church, it was disruption after disruption. It was the Holy Spirit interrupting their plans over and over again. The people that they were being sent to, the people that were being sent to them, it, dis it was a major disruption. And some, some way, in some place along the line, we've kind of created this place of trying to build church to be as normal and stable and as familiar as possible. It needs to be the same faces. Um, I see that some of you played some musical chairs and changed sides of the aisle, right? Like, this bold, okay? Um, but, don't, you know, you get, you get what I'm talking about. We come to church like, this is my spot, right? If you come to a church long enough, you start kind of building a home around your spot, okay? The church has been very gracious here. You know, they have, you, you build cushions. In my former church, I knew which grandma sat in which seat. I was like, this is their seat, okay? I, like, and it wasn't like front or back. It was like in the middle of the section. I was like, I'm not touching that seat, Right? We, we, we just try to make things as much, as, as comfortable as it can, as familiar as we can. But yet, when the Holy Spirit steps in, there's always an interruption. The people that come through our doors, the people that we surround ourselves with, and what God is asking us to do. And so as Christians, how do we find courage and boldness in the face of change and transition? How do we find courage and boldness when everything, our, the floor that we're standing on seems to be shifting and moving? How do we find courage and boldness in change and transition when God is asking us to release the old and to pursue the new? And in Paul, Philippians 4, 6-7, he gives instructions for this. Not, specific, not specifically about change, but the outlook and perspective that Christians hold. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, that first line alone, do not be anxious about anything. It's kind of like it's easier said than done. 
I think about how many things we were anxious about as we're coming in through the doors today. Whether you're serving or just, kind of just, just coming to be part of our worship service today, were the disruptions that happened on the subway. Maybe for some of us, the rain was a major disruption. <laughs> we're anxious about that. I got anxious when I saw the little, um, kind of like the festival going on. I was like, that is the street that we need to drive past, <laughs> okay? I am late. <laughs> and, you know, we, we become anxious about the small things to thinking about the future. Maybe some of us, we have this posture that if I don't think about tomorrow, I don't need to be anxious, right? I'll just figure out tomorrow for tomorrow, which is, you know, I guess kind of bold and biblical too. But um, when we begin to think deeper into the future, anxiety begins to build. Where am I in my relationships right now? Where am I in my career? You open up your bank account. Where am I financially? Where am I emotionally? All these things begin to factor in and anxiety begins to build. And Paul just kind of just throws out this blanket statement, do not be anxious about anything. And I look at that and I'm like, well, what about some things? Can I be anxious about some things? Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. And I love that the, from the position where Paul is writing this, he's writing back to the church of Philippi who was just more than a church to him. It was a church that he adored and he loved. They partnered with him in ministry in the good times and the bad times. And currently right now, Paul is writing this in prison, essentially waiting his judgment and execution. He's writing back to the church of Philippi. And the, the, the letter to the Philippians are, is much different than the letters to the Corinthians and some other churches. There, aren't, there isn't that many corrective teaching going on in Philippians. It's, it's a letter of adoration and admiration and encouragement. And as he's writing this to them in prison, he's writing, do not be anxious about anything. And as a, as a posture, as Christians, we wonder, how can we not be anxious? It's just a natural position for us to worry. We worry for our kids. We worry for our parents. I don't know when that shift happened. Right? Like my mom, she helps out with um, our baby, and I have to like, make sure she texts me when she gets home. Okay, I don't know when that transition happened. I was like, I'm worried for her on the subway ride now. Right? And I'm like, mom, make sure you text me when I get home. And she does it, and I freak out, and I call her, you okay? Right? And she's, 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 and we're, we're still trying to figure out when that flip actually happened, um, from her texting me to me worrying about her. But we, we worry about everything. And, and Paul is offering this posture he says, don't be anxious. And for Paul, his, the history, not just in this letter, in this moment that he's writing this, he's not just deciding to make a life change and a life uh, model right now. It's the, 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 the life that he led in faith following Jesus led to this moment of being able to say, do not be anxious. It's, 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 it's a compound effect of the experiences that Paul had with God one-on-one -on -one, time and time again that God has continually provided and taken care of him. He has trusted God every step of the way, whether he was being persecuted, running away in a, in, a, in, a, in a shipwreck. He trusted God every step of the way. And we look in, this, in the Lord's Prayer, and the part that says, give us today our daily bread. That's a tough part of the prayer to pray. I mean, there's a lot of tough parts, forgiving your enemies, but this part specifically, give us today our daily bread. Like, he, we're not asking God for a, a, a storage or warehouse of 
bread, of supplies that could last us into the future. I don't know how many of us are hoarders. I'm a hoarder, okay? I like to be like, if I had enough space, I would probably have like a doomsday basement um, in preparation for just whatever pandemic, end times coming, right? But Paul, you know, Jesus here, as he teaches people, give us today our daily bread. The mentality that Jesus is offering to these people and to those who follow him and those who pray this prayer is, trust me every morning. It's easy for us to manage our own plans and our own health and our own business when we have plenty, when things are going our way, when our fridge is stocked, when we feel healthy mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It's easy to just rely on our own strength and our own energy. The energy that we've had stored up, the emotional energy that we have stored up, Go, we go away for the weekend, it's like, oh, that was a great mental reset. And then you just drive past the bridge, get into the city, and you're like, it's gone, it's depleted. But we rely on the storehouse, the, store, the warehouse that we store all of our physical, mental, spiritual, emotional bandwidth. But the question is what happens when that becomes depleted? When the relationships that we've built around us when the community that we've built around us begins to disappear, when people start moving out of the city and the relationships that we were like, this, this was my support system. When that begins to move away and shift away, what do we do then? When we're struggling to meet financial needs, what do we do then? When emotionally we've, we come to a place where we can't even have a conversation or hold a conversation because it feels like it's just draining every little bit of energy that we have left. When we come to a place where maybe we had an abundance of love and care for others, and now we feel like I can barely care for myself. Maybe our spiritual tanks, we come back from an experience and an encounter with God, this mountaintop experience, and then that kind of pushes and propels us for about a month, and then now we don't have that anymore. What do we do then? And that's when Jesus begins to tell us his prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Today, our daily bread, our daily provisions. Because the provisions that we have today is not from ourselves, not by our own strength, but it's because God cares for us. As, as, as we sang the song, The Good Shepherd, I love that. That Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. He is the one that leads us by the pastures. He's the one that cares for us, protects us, and watches over us. There is no better shepherd. And so Paul has grasped hold of this. And so even in the midst of change and unexpected turns, do not be anxious about anything. But instead, in every situation, he offers this one position. He says, by prayer and petition. A lot of times, um, we begin to strategize how to get out of our problems. We look at a situation, and for those of us, maybe we have the agility to be able to think and navigate during high-stress moments, um, we, we begin to, to strategize. What's the next step? What are, what, what's the problem-solving steps? And we get into this mode, and we forget that, wait, there's a God that provides and cares. Maybe if we posture ourselves first and foremost in prayer and petition to God, that will change the landscape of things. Maybe it won't change our physical situation, but maybe it will be enough to change our heart and our spiritual situation and the way that we view 
these problems. Um, I'm, I'm very typically like that. Like, if you put a problem in front of me, I just, I just try to think of like 10 different scenarios how to resolve it. My mind just initially kicks into, kicks into that mode. And I catch myself in times forgetting that I have a God that is taking care of this church before I am. A problem comes to me for, uh, for us as Hope Brooklyn, I, have to, I, have, I literally just take out my iPad to start taking down notes. Right? I start drawing and drawing diagrams and charts, which I, at the end of it, I, don't even, I can't even make sense of it, but I just, I just feel like I need to get to work. I gotta do something, I gotta figure out problems. And then God is reminding me, he's like, hey, remember who leads this church. Remember who is the force and power behind this church. It's not you, it's me. And in those moments, I have to learn to be able to put my pen down, put down my notes, and say, God, in prayer and petition, I come to you. Here are the things that we're facing. You already know. But I come to you because I need you to change the, 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 the spiritual shift in my heart. And then in any one of those prayers and moments comes back with saying, I feel secure in the hands of God. In prayer and petition, sometimes, and we talked about this last week, we don't really understand the necessity and the power that lies behind prayer and petition. Maybe we feel like some of our problems are too small for God to handle. Like God's not concerned about this. I can't find my metro card. Right? God's not concerned about this. I don't know, you know, it's, I have this conflict with this friend. God's not worried about this. No, in all things, right? Paul says in every situation, Bring your prayers and petitions to the Lord because that is where we're going to find the peace. It's not going to, we're not going to be able to find the peace by our own solutions and by our own um, kind of problem-solving and dynamic thinking. It might, fix the, it might put a Band-Aid over it temporarily. And I love those commercials, um, that kind of the, the, the tape thing that you just slap on anything, like there's a giant tub of water and it's like just pouring out water and you just slap it on and it just stops. We think that's how we resolve so many of our problems, right? I'm just gonna slap this, I'm not gonna think about it. I'm not gonna worry about it. This thing in my apartment, as long as I don't look at it, it doesn't exist. But Paul here says, he's giving us the remedy for anxiety. He's giving us the remedy to, to face the changes and transitions and disruptions that are happening in our life. This is in every situation in prayer and petition. We could petition with God. We could go to God and cry out to him and come to him with our problems and plead with him. He is our heavenly father. He has opened up that access for us as Christians to have the brave and have, to have the boldness and the courage to be able to come to him without fear that he will reject us, without fear that he won't listen but of courage to be able to say, God, this is my problem. This is my problem. This is what I'm facing right now. That in this season of transition and, and anxiety, God, I leave it and put it into your hands. I cast all of my cares upon you. And Paul continues to say, my prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's a weird thing to be able to give thanks in a situation where we don't feel comfortable. It's weird to have oh, like words of praise and gratefulness when things are being taken out right under us. 
It's a weird thing to say that when there's disruption and chaos happening in our life, that we can say, God, I'm thankful. It's hard. It's a tough place to kind of shift gears. It's a tough thing to be able to shift gears when we get fired and come out of that meeting and wondering, can I be grateful for this? Can I be grateful in my situation right now? When we're coming out of a, a, a breakup, whether it's in a romantic relationship or a friendship or even families, coming out of it and saying, God, can I be grateful in this moment? And the secondly, can we find peace in these moments? When there's so much movement going on, movement that we don't want, that we don't expect. I just, and let me tell you, I'm a big component of just everything stay the same. All right, just keep it on cruise control. All right, and just sustainability. Okay, I'm not the aggressive risk taker. All right, I'm just like, how can we make progress little by little? And then in 20 years, maybe we move one foot, right? Like, I'm, I'm all about that slow and steady, okay? And there's, there's, a, there's a book um, I've been reading uh, called Chop Wood, Carry Water. Um, and it's, the book is, is about the process of becoming great. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty much it's parables, again, of someone training and wanting to rush the process. They want to they get to the finish line. They want that, that, that performance level to excel and to be above and beyond. They want to achieve that place in career overnight. They want to achieve all these accolades and success overnight. But throughout the book, there's this training process of learning to steward the little things well. And maybe for some of us spiritually, we see some spiritual giants and we're like, I want to be in that position. Because I know even for us as a church, I look at other churches and I'm like, I, I want to be where they are right now. I want to be able to have, you know, seven-day prayer worship nights, 24 hours. I look at what happened in the Asbury Revival. I'm like, I want that. I hear testimonies and stories of what's happening overseas. I'm like, I want that in our church. But I realized to get there, doesn't, it's not going to come through an, an overwhelming, incredible sermon. Maybe as the Holy Spirit just begins to move in a ridiculous way. But just because I preach one sermon doesn't mean it's going to bring us there. It's going to be a process of us being able to grow into that, to be able to steward the little things well. How do I manage my time with the Lord on a daily basis through prayer and the Word? Do I even have time for that? Do I create time for that? But yet we desire to be a church that's on this end of the spectrum or this scope. And so God has been bringing me back, learning to be able to be grateful in the painful process of growth and transition. It's tough. It's tough to see when others are excelling and we feel kind of stuck in life. We feel kind of, when we see our friends and um, excelling in their life stages and careers, like, oh, wait, I should be there. I'm wondering why we're not. And we begin to analyze each point of our life of what we missed or what we did wrong. And I do, that, I do the same thing with us as a church. I look at different churches, I'm like, okay, what, what do we need to analyze today? <laughs> they planted after us. <laughs> that pastor came into the city years later than I did. <laughs> we begin to analyze these pieces, but we forget in the process that we need to begin to just trust God, to be grateful for what we have today, the daily bread and the daily provision. And if we miss and lose sight of what we're grateful for today, we begin to miss out on the mission of what God is doing. See, here, Paul in prison, um, he is a nuisance. 
um, <laughs> because here he is in, in prison, and he's like, who can I preach to? He starts preaching to the prison guards in Philippians. Right? I'm like, if I'm the prison guard, I'm like, dude, this is why you're here. <laughs> this is exactly what you've been in prison for. But Paul's like, who can I preach to? He's looking at his situation now, and instead of being overwhelmed by anxiety and fear, I could be killed after this. I could spend my lifetime in this prison. But he's writing this prayer and petition to the church of Philippi. You know, Philippians is marked as one of the books that, is, that has an overwhelming theme of joy. Paul continually says, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. In the situation that he's in now, he's encouraging those outside of the prison walls to rejoice. It is a powerful testimony for those who are Christians who have the, the courage and boldness and to be brave enough that even in the midst of their storm to encourage others to rejoice and to be glad and to be thankful. And let's be honest, when, when things hit us in life, the unexpected changes, the unexpected dynamics of things that go wrong in our life, we don't want to worry about other people's problems. I remember like during seasons of my life where I just feel like I, I feel overwhelmed beyond capacity and someone comes to me with a problem and I'm like, that is so trivial, get over it. Right? I'm like, okay, sorry, I was going to go to you for pastoral counseling, but not anymore. Um, but that, 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 that mindset would kind of come in. I'm like, well, do you know what I'm going through? And we somehow play this, this, this game of who's suffering more. Right? My wife and I are guilty right now. We play this game every day. Who's, who's more sleepy? Right? <laughs> who's more tired? <laughs> we're like, well, you slept at 3 a.m. And I slept at 2 a.m. <laughs> you know, play, we play this game. But in life, we play this game of who's suffering more. Whose life is more of a mess? And who has the high ground to be able to complain and who doesn't? We compare our sufferings. But here, Paul flips the script. He says, hey, you, outside of these prison walls, don't be anxious. Don't worry about me. I'm preaching the gospel in here. My fate is in God's hands. Don't be anxious. This is you over there with prayer and petition. Bring your request to God. And do it with thanksgiving. And I love verse 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want that peace. I want the peace that makes no sense. I want the peace that even in a situation where our entire ground is being uprooted and our, the, the platform that we're standing on is being taken away, that I have peace. I have a peace that my, maybe I have, have zero certainty for my future. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But I, I'm sure of this, that I can have thanksgiving in my heart. This peace of God which transcends all understanding. It will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's what protects us from the worries of life. That's what protects us from the anxiety and from the, the, the elements that come and surround us. And Granted, this sermon, I'm just letting you know, it's not, about, it's not a self-help. This is not how to live a stress-free life because it's going to happen. Okay? Those storms will come, 
And sometimes those, those storms will come one after another. It'll feel relentless. And I can't help but just in seasons like that, there's always like those clips of people on the beach and just getting tossed by the waves over and over again. Um, there's so many clips out there, but I don't know why. I, I, I laugh at that. But, you know, just like they get up and then there's another wave comes in and then there's like crawling to try to get back up and another wave comes in. And I'm like, I look at that and I laugh because I'm like, that's so, so clearly a description of life. We feel like we finally figured things out, like I'm back on my feet. And then we get news, a family member's sick. Somebody's hurt, we turn on the news. We look at our finances, some tragedy strikes, and we feel like the, our feet has just been taken out from us. But Paul talks about this piece. And I remember first time reading this, I was like, I need something like that. If this is who God really is, then I know that there will be a peace that guards my heart, that will protect me at all costs. And it's not this optimistic hopefulness. Just things will be better tomorrow. It's a peace that transcends all of that. And the tough part of transition and change, um, once again, going back to the book, is that sometimes we need the change to be able to redirect and to help shape our lives, to help re reshape our spirituality. And how many of us sitting in this room are experiencing this stagnant spiritual life? That we feel like we're kind of just going through the routine and the motions. And maybe we don't even have routines or motions. We just have a notion of God. <laughs> Jesus exists. He's somewhere there. He's somewhere in my life. But there hasn't been any dynamic shifts happening in our spiritual hearts and our spiritual lives. There hasn't been this hunger and eagerness. There hasn't been this drive. And I know sometimes we get a credit to like, well, the church isn't providing, the church isn't meeting the needs. And yes, the church has a role to equip the saints and to create and to be able to share delight and hunger of God together. But ultimately, when we look at the early church and the pictures of the early church, they didn't have any of that. The drive came from their relationship with God, not just on Sundays. But maybe some of us feel stuck in that place, and I've definitely gone through seasons of that, of, being, of just being stagnant. And some of the reasons for the stagnancy can occur because we're, willing, we're not willing to change. We're not willing to grow. We don't, wanna, we don't want the more. We just want the stable. And maybe we've, got, we've gotten a taste of God, and that has been carrying us for decades or years or months. We had this one moment in encounter of God and be like, I, I'm kind of just nibbling on this one spiritual feast, right? And now my, it's, I'm running out, right? Whatever I stored up is running out, and I need something new. I need a new feast. I need a new buffet. I need a new table. I need something new to refuel this. Maybe for some of us, we've been holding on to old traditions and pathways of spirituality, and so we're afraid to let go and to experience something new that God is doing. And that's one of the challenges of an existing church. We hold on to the old memories of what God has done, and we miss out on the things that God wants to do now. I know for so much of my life, too, my spirituality, there's been this picture of how church should operate, 
And once I plug in all the pieces, this is my faith. And when God wants to inject something new and something that's just fresh, oh, God, there's no room for that. I kind of like how I'm managing my spirituality. And I used to become very kind of like, I guess, obnoxious about that in a way. Someone's introducing me to new, like, new preachers, new speakers. I'm like, no, I have my set of speakers that I like. These are my preachers. This is my zone. I don't want to be introduced to anything new. <laughs> There's so many Tim Keller sermons. I, I still need to get through all of them. When someone wants to in, uh, share something new that God is doing, and once again, by new, I don't mean anything apart from the word, okay? There's the other extreme that we try to make Christi Christianity too creative, and we take elements that aren't in the scripture to spice it up. We don't need things to spice up the scripture. If the Holy Spirit is moving and active, that is all we need. But sometimes we kind of, we try to inject new elements that aren't in the Word. I'm, by new, what I'm talking about is God helping to reshape and understand our relationship with Him, the dynamics of Him, the different elements of Him. When I went to um, uh, Scotland, England, um, I grew up in a very charismatic background. Everything was just, you know, three-hour services were normal. There was no end service time because it was like, let the Holy Spirit move. Okay, over time, I was like, I got places to be. Okay, Holy Spirit, you need to wrap this up. Um, but I, that's kind of like the circle and the church dynamic I grew up in, right? Just pray all night. Right? And I remember one time I was leading a, a, uh, like a, like a youth overnight thing at church with the high school students, and we were just passionate, energy. I'm like, we're going to pray till the sun rises. By the time 4 a.m. hit, I was like, I deeply regret this. Um, but all the high school students were like, we're praying till the sun rises. I was like, okay, I can't go back on my word. I got to pray till the sun rises, right? But I grew up in that circle. And then when I went to Scotland, England, I went to the church where Constantine was baptized. And we had our, our Eucharist there, which is the, the communion time. And I remember the first time reading the common book of prayer. And I was like, this isn't God, right? We're just, we're just robots here. <laughs> we're, just, we're just reciting things. This isn't spiritual, but in that moment, something amazing happened where the, the, the supernatural work of God, the Holy Spirit, met me in the, rev, in the divine, rev, like, this reverent moment of just experiencing God. That he wasn't just my friend and father, but he was the holy creator of all things. And it was like two worlds colliding. But I was so against it when I first came, went in there. I was like, wow, this is, this is too ritualistic. Right? I don't like this. I already had my preconceived notions entering into that space. But thankfully, God met me in that moment and showed me new dimensions and new layers of his relationship, my relationship with him and who he is, this revelation. And in the book, Who, <laughs> who Moved My Cheese, it says, the more important your cheese is to you, the more you want to hold on to it. We don't want to change. Maybe we came in here clinging on to traditions of church, of how church should be, of what the expectations of church, of people and community. And our, and our spiritual life has become so stagnant because we put this box around God and said, well, this is the only place you can operate, and this is how you should operate, God. But the beauty of the gospel is that it's not just about external circumstances. But change is something that God wants to do deeply within us. It's not just about changing the church environment. It's not just changing our friends and our families. I mean, man, how many times do we have a wish list of things that if my friend just stopped doing this, 
my parents just stop talking about this. <laughs> if this financial situation, if there's just a couple of more zeros when I open up my app, all these things, we kind of surround ourselves. And says, so if these elements can change, but we ignore the greatest effect of the gospel is what happens when we come encounter the gospel internally. There's a renewal that happens constantly. It's not a stagnant thing that remains dormant and God kind of just pours some water on it and it comes to life. No, it's constantly generating and moving and circulating. The spiritual work that God is doing in us is always casting away the old and making way for the new, the new being Jesus. God is constantly moving the quote-unquote cheese that we have in our life, the things that we hold on to, our old traditions, our old patterns, our old, old behaviors, the things that we held dear. I mean, how many times do we bargain with God in our spirituality? God, I fixed all these other areas of my life. This one isn't that bad. Right? Just allow me to have some leeway here. Okay, give me some cushion here, God. I've changed so much for you over here. But that's not how the gospel works. When Jesus enters into our life, it's a complete transformation. It's a total renewal of who we are. And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's not an adjusted creation. It's not a modified creation. It's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ Jesus, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is not a part-time project that God is doing with us. Our life is not a, like a hobby that he's like, let me just make a couple of tweaks and adjustments here. No, God is saying that when we come into faith and reconciliation with Jesus, he is doing something completely new. Not just once, but continually. It's the sanctification. It's the continual reconciliation of our life with him. It's constant. It's always working. And a lot of times we kind of, we settle for minor adjustments, minor behavioral modifications. If I just stop doing this, okay, I think, my, I think my spiritual life is in order. And that's the beauty of baptism. The representation of baptism is that as we go in the water, the old is gone. Who you were in the past, all your failures, all your mistakes, all your transgressions, all your regrets, gone. And as we come out of the water, it's a representation that we are new, made wholly new in relationship with him. It's a new birth. It's a celebration. It's a celebration of victory. And I want us to think back, maybe when is the last time we felt this work of reconciliation in our hearts? When's the last time we felt this, this working of the Spirit, reconciling the broken things of our lives to Jesus? When is the last time that we've read something in, this, in the Word of God and that has spoken to us so directly and clearly that it leads us in that moment to repentance. 
one of the things for me that made the scripture so real is that there are a lot of books I've read that have, that have motivated me. There are very, there's, there's very few, if not only one book, that has convicted me. The Bible has convicted me of my pride as I read it. It has checked my ego. It has checked my arrogance, my perspective, my anger, my bitterness. It has led me to places of being able to just come to my knees and humble myself before God and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't make this change. I need you. See, Paul had, and Apostle Paul out of everyone knows this transformative work that God has done. His life has been completely turned around with his encounter of Jesus. From the man that persecuted the Christians to the one being persecuted that he couldn't have enough of Jesus, that even till his imprisonment, that he's preaching to the prison guards, preaching to the whole household. Do you know Jesus? Change and transition can be a terrifying thing. Even though we, even though we see all the signs that, of how it could benefit us, how we can grow out of it. But change and transition... It terrifies us because it takes out all the old. And sometimes we, we like to hold on to the remnants of the old, for those of us that are nostalgic. We're scared to approach the new. We're, we're scared to approach what Jesus is doing and asking of us today because things of yesterday feel so familiar and so close. It's like a security blanket for us. We hold on to it because it makes us feel comfortable and safe. But I'm here to offer that for those who follow Jesus, safety and comfort is the first thing that leaves. For those who follow Jesus, it's a pursuit, it's a, it's a lifelong pursuit of Holy Spirit. What will you do next? I'm going to ask the communion ushers and our worship team to come up. Following Jesus, it shakes the ground that we live in because. As people, as sinful people, we have the desires of our heart. We have the things that we want to keep safe with the things that we want to keep close. We have behaviors that we're willing, not willing to let go. Maybe for us, the bitterness that we hold is our safety blanket. Maybe there are things in our life that we kind of cling on to, the relationships that we cling on to, no matter how toxic and abusive it could be because for some reason it makes us feel familiar. But the reality is when we follow Jesus, every day he is challenging our hearts. He is challenging the things that, he's, he is unearthing the, the darkness and the things that we hold so dear that we haven't told anybody. Maybe we personally negotiated a style of life, but Jesus is saying, no, I want the whole creation, all of it because I want to do a new work in you. I want to reconcile your heart. Jesus came not just to fix a couple of behaviors. If that's, a, if that's the cost of the cross, that is a hefty cost he paid for no reason. He could have just came as a good teacher and good prophet, wrote, write a couple of good books, self-help, you know, TED Talks, and it would have been good. But no, he demonstrated this death on the cross because he knew he didn't want to modify some things. He says, no, I want the whole being, all of you, all of us, to come forward. 
when, we, when we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, every day is an adventure. I know that sounds really cheesy, but that's the only way I could put it. When we're listening to the Holy Spirit and being in tune of God and in relationship, there's the pruning work that he is doing. He is changing us. Every day, there is something that God is working and recreating. There's something that God is reconciling and healing. There's something that he's restoring. And does our life reflect that? And so if we can just take a moment to pray right now, um, in a couple of moments I'll give instructions to come up to receive communion, but um, if we just approach God, maybe there are things that we're anxious about today, that we're worried about, we're stressful about. Those fears feel like, the walls feel like they're kind of collapsing in, the heaviness of our heart. Maybe we feel paralyzed by decision-making because we look back at our track record and be like, man, the last five decisions I made have not worked out well. Maybe our heart is just, we're, we're entrenched with anxiety. And Paul isn't saying, stop it. <laughs> Stop being anxious. No, when he says don't be anxious, he's saying because in this moment right now, we can go to God in prayer and petition. I'm saying, God, I leave it at the foot of the cross. I put it in your hands, the God of provisions, my good shepherd. I trust you in the valley and not just in the mountaintops. Just laying it into the hands of Jesus. And ultimately, just ask for the Holy Spirit's strength to be able to give thanks. Maybe today, the only thing we can be thankful for is the cross. But believe it or not, that's enough. Although all our external circumstances can be taken away, there's one thing that we can be thankful for today, and it's the cross. It's a table that he set and created before us to come, dine, and partake in communion and fellowship with him. And so as we come and receive communion today um, on either side, um, if I can ask for us to kind of just make a spiritual exercise, that as we receive the bread and the cup, as we receive, trade in our anxieties, our fears, Saying, God, as I take, come to this table and take and receive you, I leave this with you. And so whenever you feel ready, you can come up um, to receive the bread and the cup and go back to your seat, and I'll give instructions for us afterwards. <laughs>